Okay, hello there everyone and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host Adam A. Donaldson and joining me today is Peter Wesley Salmon. Hope y'all are doing good down in G-Town. So Peter, uh, got any leap day plans? Uh, I wasn't even aware until right now that uh, <laughs> we had a leap, a leap day coming up. Yeah, tomorrow's, uh, uh, tomorrow's the 29th. Oh my 29th. goodness, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I've, I have no plans. Uh, my plan currently is to probably forget that it's a leap day until well after the leap day. You're gonna write. You're gonna write March March first down on some notes and yeah, yeah. And then be drastically confused for the next 13 days. Yeah, probably 13, 14 uh, right. month month. <laughs> yeah. Good thinking. No, I'm I'm glad uh, open sources is on a leap day. Uh, that that way it just it's marked for posterity, February the 29th, and another open sources episode. Oh, that is cool. That's cool yeah. to say. Yeah. Yeah. All right. As for this episode, uh, End Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be. The new comedic road movie, The Driveaway Dolls, which you can now see in a theater near you, hopefully because it didn't even finish in the top 10 at the mm. box office this weekend, which which saddens Yikes. me. Saddens me for the, fate yeah. of, for the fate of the country, really. Did Madame Webb top it? Uh, yes, Madame uh, <laughs> Madame Webb. Goodness. <laughs> the, proper, the proper pronunciation, uh, Madame Webb. Hold on, I'm gonna pull up the thing, yeah, because yeah, it, Madame Madame Webb, I'm, I like this pronunciation, uh, did finish near the top because I think Driveway Dolls was the only new wide release this past weekend. Um, so yeah, Bob, yeah, Mar- I believe so. Bob Marley, One Love was number one. Uh, Demon Slayer, Kimitsu no Yaba is uh, second. I believe that's an anime of some description oh demon slayer yeah i remember seeing that in the uh, theaters the other day ordinary angels which is a hillary swank christian movie if i remember correctly is uh number three and then uh madame webb is number four so it wasn't at the top i don't think it opened at the top last weekend either but uh certainly the word of mouth hasn't helped madame webb as it were yeah it's very strange it's a cohen you know you would think that more would uh go to see it just to say they saw it but if it's not cohen brothers i guess it doesn't <laughs> matter or you know I, I don't know half a half a cohen brothers only gets you half the way there um yeah gonna, i guess <laughs> we're gonna get there but i mean it's a reminder that we're finishing up dumpuary which mm-hmm. uh is the time of year that and i think this dates back to when you know movies had a bit of a wider release frame so you know the way it used to work is studios would release movies in limited release at the end of December so it'd be eligible for Oscars. So they'd open in like New York and LA and mm-hmm. maybe Toronto and Chicago. And then they would slowly go wider throughout January and February. So while everybody is like finally getting a chance to see all these Oscar buzzy movies, uh, the studios take the opportunity to dump movies that maybe they don't want you to see or um I just did not want like the the glaring attention of 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 the movie going public to catch these when like a lot of people are at the movies like the summertime or on christmas time so that's where dumpuary comes from although um 
some people have argued Dumpuary gets a bad rap, that there are occasionally good movies released in Dumpuary. Yeah, and, and that makes those films uh, kind of more special, like a hidden gem, you know? Yeah, I think you're so right. I think yeah. that's why people focus on the goodness of it. But uh, that kind of goodness, that kind of learning uh, wouldn't exist itself without terming it as, you know, Dumpuary. So. Right, it's about setting the bar low. Yeah. <laughs> um, and a lot of people have been really psyched this past Dumpuary, if you will, because of the beekeeper. Did you see the beekeeper, Peter? Uh, no, I'm aware of it though. I think it's the Statham one where he's yes, a, a beekeeper and the bees go crazy. I also know uh, <laughs> this was a bit bit ago, but Thanksgiving was also pretty big in the the states. So horror yeah. film horror as a whole is just doing quite well. Um, well, be, although be, actually, is the is the beekeeper horror? Or? Beekeeper is action because because uh, oh. he is a beekeeper. Um, but you will you learn in the course of beekeeper that there's a double meaning for beekeeper um, because it is also the designator for us a, a, uh, a classified federal agent who protects the hive. You see, when the hive starts to malfunction, they send in the beekeeper to kill uh. a bunch of people to restore order. Okay, I thought it was more of a horror, so now I'm even <laughs> less inclined. But uh, <laughs> hey, it made it made bank forty million, and it's nearing one hundred and fifty. So that's I think it's Statham's best that's, movie. That's not a that's something. Movie. Yeah. That's something right there. Oh, when it comes to like uh, fiscal, yeah, Fiscally like box or? office. It's it's his yeah, it's his best box yeah, office. Yeah, for, that uh, makes sense. It excluding the Meg movies and the the Fast and Furious movies here. Yeah. Oh, it's the director too. Is from the tax collector guy. So that's the, mo thing. the movie. The, the tax collector. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's he's not an actual tax collector. Yeah, um, it's just kind of sad because I remember Fury, his 2014 work was like actually like really good. Like it was just an objectively great film. Yeah, Fury's and after, good. It's just kind of fallen to more Suicide Squad. Well, I think yeah, soul I think, action. I think Beekeepers a return to form for um for david air um all right so we've each prepared a, a list of dumpuary movies that we think are pretty good they came out in either january or february but um uh, they, they still are worth seeing um perhaps unfairly qualified as dumpuary movies so peter why don't you get us rolling with your first dumpuary pick okay so my first dumpuary pick would be what most people are seeing, uh, Bob Marley, One Love. Um, I actually saw it the other day, and I do think it's fair to be called a uh, dumpuary film in the sense that there's way better biopics. Like, there's objectively, within less than a year, there's been better. Like, Elvis is better. Um, mm. Honestly, I've just seen a trailer, and I, I would bet tens of millions that the upcoming uh, wine house will do better mm. um it's just a very unstable biopic um th there's so much to go into there but at the end of the day uh kinsley benadir does do a good job as displaying bob marley mm -hmm. he performs the music himself and mm -hmm. that is outstanding so if you're a fan of bob marley which i personally am i would highly recommend it um, mm. And it's just too bad that some of the critical uh, panning has has kind of taken that away. Um, 
Although it has has opened number one at the box office two weeks in a row. Oh, money! Oh, money wise, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's already at uh, <laughs> I think about like 140 million or something, 120 million. Yeah. Um. So it'll be good on it for that. Um. And I also the one thing that critics don't really I think mention enough, uh, and that does add some positivity to it, is the amount that it actually deals with Rastafarianism is pretty in depth. Uh, mm. It actually gives more details to it than some of the uh, documentaries of Marley's that I've seen. So it was really fascinating in that sense and uh rita marley uh lashana lynch outstanding and their relationship mm. is oh sorry and the, the, their relationship mm. okay can you still hear me yep oh, okay uh then yeah so their relationship was really well portrayed um one of the biggest flaws though was a lack of display of bob marley being bad Mm. and that's the one thing i really do agree with when it comes to the critics yeah he, uh, he, mm. he was a great guy at the end of the day but he also um cheated and could be abusive sometimes but the film mm. really just kind of ignores that um and that's like critics that's the main focus but it, it really again um the music's outstanding when it comes to solely the music it's not even close to being like Elvis, but when it comes to solely the singing and the music, mm. uh, it's it's near on par. Uh, Kingsley Benadir does a great job with Bob Marley's vocals mm. and just as that figure um, all mm. around. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I, I think that this is kind of like the, the, the key struggle in sort of these modern biopics, at least about musical figures. If you want the rights, you got to go to the family. Uh, and if you go through the family, they're going to want to see the good stuff and not the bad stuff. Exactly. And Rita Marley herself, Ziggy Marley, Stila Marley, literally all the Marleys are, yeah, the uh, the producers. Yeah. Just very heavy role. I mean, that, I mean, that's clear. I mean, that's you could watch Elvis and you could watch Pris- Priscilla. And um, obviously, Elvis is kind of like the victim in Elvis. He's a victim of, you know, Colonel Parker. Um, but and then you get the Elvis music and then you watch Priscilla. And then El- where Elvis is kind of like the victimizer and there's no Elvis music in Priscilla because, you know, the, the Presley family isn't going to obviously want that point of view. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's too bad because I think Rita Marley is cause she was a producer on this. I think she's the last that would want to do uh, a film solely about her and probably that depict Bob Marley in a bad way. So I don't know if yeah. we'll we'll get that at least within her lifetime. Yeah. But again, I still the reason I brought it up is because I think if you're a Bob Marley fan, it's it's definitely a must watch. Okay, I did I did myself learn a couple new things. Okay, uh, point taken. Um, my first pick is relatively recent, um, pre pandemic, um, and it's called Underwater, and it's from William Eubend, who um has done a couple of genre movies nothing really notable i'm not sure underwater is really notable either but um it is a lot it's fun it's uh kind of spine tiggly it's uh got some good jumps in it it is about a team of underwater miners um m-i-n-e-r-s not m-i-n-o-r-s um they're led by uh, Kristen Stewart, who uh, just really appears badass in it. She shaved her head, uh, clearly uh, went to the gym, uh, goes does the whole uh, Sigourney Weaver routine. Um, I mean, this also feels a little bit aliens because, the, well, the, the creatures in it aren't explicitly alien. They are alien in that uh, 
they are new and unknown, but uh, it's at the bottom of the Marianas Trench, so they could be have been down there originally and just don't like humans digging for stuff. Um, but it's a good cast: Vincent Cassell, Jessica Henwick, John Gallagher Jr. Uh, part of the the cast in this. It's got great atmosphere. It has that real kind of genuine claustrophobic feeling. It really feels like it takes place under the sea. Uh, remind me of. Two sort of formative movies for me that came out in the same year, oddly enough, uh, Leviathan and Deep Star Six, which were underwater horror movies that both came out within a couple of months of each other in 1989. I just remember, and the the poster art for those movies was really rad, and um, and uh, so you know, I was kind of becoming more aware of movies. I was, I guess, I was around 10 or 11 when mm. when they came out, um, and so it kind of reminded me of like like modern updates of that, um. It's a little derivative, but I mean, it's executed really, really well. And and Kristen Stewart really, really anchors the thing. Uh, I know a lot of people have been taking some cheap shots at her because of her the Rolling Stones cover she did a, a couple of weeks ago and really embracing um, <laughs> casting herself as kind of a queer icon, um, which I'm I'm completely with her. Uh, it's a ride I'm with her on 100%. But um it, it, it's it's kind of a rare role for her, uh, like an actiony role. It, it came like kind of right on the heels of Charlie's Angels, the Charlie, the Elizabeth Banks Charlie's Angels movie, which <laughs> I thought was okay. Um, but Charlie's Angels is a is a seventies phenomenon that can't be replicated. Um, but I thought she was good in it, Kristen Stewart. She was good in this. Uh, I think she's good in action. I think I'd like to see her do some more actiony stuff and um maybe there's uh i don't know maybe there's a franchise somewhere maybe she could be in a mission impossible movie i don't know but uh i think underwater was a good vehicle for her and it's just a good vehicle in general and it's easy enough to find on disney plus if you want to check it out and, and sorry what was the name of this film underwater oh, okay it's it's set underwater and it's called underwater i understand the confusion <laughs> <laughs> Wow, yeah, it sounds entertaining. I just, I, I'm personally, like, I can't even find it on her, like, Wiki, Wikipedia. So. It was around 20, it was early 2020. It was, like, right before the lockdown. Oh, okay. I see. And now it's on Disney Plus. It's I on see. Disney Plus now. You can stream it on Disney Plus. If you got the Plus, you can you can check it out. Um. All right, Peter, that brings us to your number two. Yeah, okay. So number two for me is, um, it was... I think late this January and the film is mm -hmm. called the monk and the gun. So the monk and the gun, uh, it is a, I believe a uh, Chinese film, but um, did in January get a um, pretty wide North American release. Um, if anybody's interested in it, it's currently playing at indie cinemas here. Um, the Bytown in Ottawa um, and the, not bookshelf but the the princess um in, in kitchener in, in waterloo yeah yeah uh it's showing it um and it's actually a really interesting historical film um it's about 2006 when the one little town location uh the kingdom of bhutan uh, in south asia <clears throat> next to china uh it became democratic and went from king to democracy um and it's just about how a lot of people were really worried about that how things started to change not slowly, but like immediately. Um, and this change in the worry is displayed through the lead who is a monk, 
uh, and he's given a gun and it's just to kind of walk around as the, uh, you know, the judicial system changes and just to, to kind of make sure <laughs> everything's okay. He doesn't use a gun or anything. It's, it's, it's bad. Guns are bad, but like because of a, a drastic change, even a monk is holding a gun and for peace, sometimes actions needed. There, there's a lot of different kind of themes like that. They're trying to get across, but uh, it's, it's also just based on the actual um, Kingdom of Bhutan events and uh, just really fascinating. Um, in particular, it's the, uh, for me, at least the cinematography that got me the um, mm. it's set in a nice little, uh, country area so you know you get a lot of really beautiful hills um and it's a lot of really high up shots showing the monk down you know doing his strolling doing his walking um and it's a really fun plot but had a lot of, of um like terrence malick kind of a very visual focused um which i would say actually does add to the theme as well of, of quick change of of uh riding something the new wave the new the new breeze of societal change so mm -hmm. yeah it was just a really fun story uh and one that just kind of uh silently slipped out here in uh, mm -hmm. in our theaters in january mm -hmm. so, yeah the monk and the gun still in theaters if you want to check it out yeah uh, international films can sort of end up as dumpy worry movies if you, you you know if they don't have like like oscar ambitions uh, as it were <laughs> you know it's like the monk and the gun probably isn't going to get a best international yes Oscar. exactly um whereas it did <laughs> it, it it was a late 2023 uh release for it in china and um some other mm. countries so yeah it's just kind of a we're the we're the back end of it and it's finally yeah come out here yeah it is at the light box this week as i was uh yeah it was at, at uh, it was at more than i i thought it would be mm-hmm so it, it is getting around. I haven't seen it at the bookshelf yet, but I believe it is coming. Hold on. Let me look at the bookshelf calendar because I believe uh, this is great radio, by the way. Um, the Monk and the Gun actually starting this Friday at the bookshelf. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So anybody yeah. listening to credits, it's going to be in Guelph, too. And yeah, I'd recommend it. Yeah. Uh, it's all next week along with the taste of things at the bookshop. So uh, easy, wicked easy for listeners to find if they live in the Guelph area. Mm -hmm. um, my next dumpuary pick, um, I'm surprised more movies in this series weren't dumpuary. Um, they were kind of like post-Labor Day. Like there's kind of like a dumpuary post-Labor Day. Like the first couple of weeks after Labor Day is yeah. kind of a dump period. It's like summer movies are kind of still in the theaters. Um, but and and that's where the this movie series typically was released, and then they almost literally dumped the last one in January. Um, and it is at Resident Evil, the final chapter. Oh, right. And um, these are kind of guilty pleasures for me. Um, the Resident Evil series of films, uh, there's little logical consistency consistency from one entry to the next. Um, all it is mostly is an excuse for uh, Mila Jovovich to just beat up zombies and CGI monsters. And that's usually, I mean, usually they're like a tight 90 minutes of nonsense and, and blood and guts and fighting. And that's, that's, that's enough. That's enough. Most days. Um, the final chapter though is interesting um, because it, 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 the whole movie is working towards a conclusion. Most of the time, these movies are working towards like setting up the next edition. So there's actual narrative propulsion in this one. Um, it is 
literally the end of the world, although the, most of the series is about the after the end of the world, but the last of the human survivors of the zombie apocalypse are about to be wiped out unless uh, Mila Jovovich's Alice gets the cure to the T-virus, which is the virus that reanimates all the dead creatures. Um, the caveat is because Alice is bonded with the T-virus that gives her her superpowers, um, it might kill her too. Um, so it's this kind of uh, Faustian quest, I guess. Um, but it's a lot of fun. I mean, uh, Mila Jovich is just a great physical performer. Um, so, you know, watching her fight, watching her kick butt, like there's also acting opportunities for her in this. And, you know, it's Resident Evil, so mitigate your your expectations accordingly. But there's a chance for Mila Jovich to do some acting in this as well and stretch uh, different muscles and Ian Glenn is is one of the bad guys uh he, he's returning from an earlier chap chapter in the um in the Resident Evil series but um he's playing Gonzo in this he's like completely like kind of he's playing this like kind of Christian fundamentalist character um and that's a lot of fun uh for him he's clearly having a good time so you know just for like straight up zombie killing fun and adventure you know resident evil the final chapter and so far it has been the final chapter it came out in 2017 um they did re they did try to reboot the film series with uh resident evil welcome to raccoon city which completely new setup completely new cast wasn't great uh it just it it, it lost that joie de vivre uh, that Paul W.S. Anderson brought to it. By, Paul W.S. Anderson, by the way, if there was ever a dumpuary filmmaker, it's Paul W.S. Anderson. But again, Resident oh, yeah. Evil was the one. first was the first one of his movies that was like a dumpuary, which is com completely weird to me. Because if you go back and like watch his like his Three Musketeers movie or Event Horizon or Soldier or Mortal Kombat, like these movies had dumpuary written all over them. But um, he managed to skate for the longest time. But yeah, I I like Res I like the Resident Evil series. It's a good time. It's a fun time, and 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 the final chapter is probably the best entry since the first one. So that's my personal taste. May not be everyone's, but there you go. <laughs> Honestly, I uh, feel bad, but I haven't seen a, a single one of the uh, Resident Evils. Um, You're fine. I don't even I don't even know when came out this year, but it's great that it uh, is on par with the first one you said. Yeah, you're fine. You don't have to rush out. It's it's <laughs> it was like I was in university when they started coming out, so it's you know it's, yeah. It's kind of I like used to a, um I used to always confuse them with the underworld series. I don't know, know why, but uh they no, just I I'll I'll tell you why. It's because they came from the same studio. Oh, there you go. So yeah, they're, just they're both Sony same. screen gems. Yeah. There you go. That's why. Mm -hmm. also they're focused on brunette women who beat people up and are supernatural so it's i, I think there was a real missed opportunity for a crossover but to make electra no for underworld oh okay but i mean they could throw in electra sure why not um i mean electra's coming back for deadpool so the jennifer gardner electra she's in deadpool 3 actually yeah okay <laughs> that'll be interesting all right uh your third pick for dumpuary classic all right so i picked the sports comedy drama mm -hmm. underdogs mm -hmm. and uh the underdogs although it did go 
right to Amazon was supposed to hit all the theaters. But since it's R-rated, they said, nope, that's not going to do anymore. So they put it right on at the Prime. But I watched it, and it is genuinely an okay comedy. It's all right. Um, if you enjoy comedies, uh, bro, bromance-style comedies, I'd recommend it. Uh, other, other than that, you know, you don't need to watch it. It's just a regular stoner kind of comedy. Um, what I liked in particular, though, is um, Mike Epps, George Lopez, and Cal Penn were mm-hmm. all main characters. Mm-hmm. And they actually did have a few comedic genuinely comedic even if you're sober even if you haven't had any marijuana with it it's some genuinely comedic lines and that that took me aback you know um stoop dog was okay um uh, he's good at playing stoop dog but he's not playing stoop dog in it so it's whatever but it's okay he's a former football star and then he figures out oh i can make a football show and it's popular um yeah plots what it usually is for stoner comedy but uh it it gets enough laughs and stoner comedy is at a lower level than it used to be so you know Mm. if you can find one and you feel like it just grab it uh and this is one of those the underdogs um it's also uh historically important because it really signifies how much what box office's show uh Mm. has become because charleston 2 or should I say the third, my apologies, uh, <laughs> the director of this film also made the classic Mr. 3000, which did really well. It was big screen, right? It's back at a time when that was for the big screen, whereas this one, you know, was supposed to be, but just immediately put onto streaming. You know, mm. it's, it's whatever's popular. They, it's just R-rated. It isn't really working right now in theaters. Um, and this film, I think, yeah, shows that. Someone who used to do big blockbusters for, you know, including R-rated films or 14 plus is, is just doing some some prime streaming now but uh it, it's of an okay quality mm. like i said if you like bro comedy stoner comedy i, I would recommend the underdogs uh cal Penn in particular and mike epps are are really fun in it um mike epps uh, anybody listening he's the friday he's he's lead lead friday so mm-hmm. yeah. yeah uh cal Penn, of the course underdogs. from uh harold and kumar yeah um so he's had he's he's he spent time in the stoner trenches um oh yeah i didn't even process that i always (laughs) see it's funny because i obviously um i'm watching house right now he's in that too but uh he was as well right yes he left he he, he left house he left house to to go work in the obama administration yeah yeah but no now he's yeah back in the stoner comedy quite (laughs) famously um yeah he wasn't able to parlay or maybe he wasn't interested in parlaying that into more of a political career it's interesting what's going on with prime because there's this and then there's the roadhouse remake with jake chillenhall that's going oh that's that's people are it's not going to theaters anymore right no yeah yeah it's not going to theaters it's that's got some of the stars mad i'd be kind of doug lyman mad but apparently that's only half the story that apparently uh, it was always supposed to go to Prime, and oh, okay. that's they got a bigger budget so they could go on Prime. Or um, apparently, that's the way this works now. They'll give you more money if you go straight to streaming, um, and if you <laughs> they'll, they'll they'll trim the budget if the intention is to go to theaters. I guess yeah. the economics of it is different if you have it like exclusivity. But uh, yeah, all right, underdogs, um, yeah. and and Snoop, to be clear, Snoop plays a former football player in it uh yeah yeah oh you don't believe that that's not believable to you that's the i'm not really sold on that no no well maybe there's a reason he didn't make it huh (laughs) 
I just, I'm not, nothing about Snoop Dogg really says I used to play fullback, um, or, <laughs> or, 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 uh, I was, uh, a, you know, a point kicker or whatever. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, all right. My last, uh, Dumpy Wary pick is from 2008. It is directed by Matt Reeves, who made, uh, the, the two of the, Planet of the Apes movies and made the Batman a couple of years ago. This was his first movie, uh, his feature debut. It was called Cloverfield. And it is a essentially a monster movie, a giant monster movie, a kaiju movie that is uh, told entirely in found footage. People may not forget, or <laughs> that's a weird turn of phrase, but people may forget that uh the trailer for this came out. There was no title on it, no anything. It was just the scene where the light there. There's a party going on. The lights go out. Everybody goes out in the street, and they see this object hurl itself from the other side of Manhattan, and it lands in the street. And it's the Statue of Liberty's head, and that's the trailer. Um, that trailer was put in front of Transformers in 2007, and then you get the. You don't get a title card. You don't know what the movie's called. It just says January 2008. Mm -hmm. And so this was like, we're dumping this, but it's like, we're not dumping it. Like we're kind of gingerly placing it in January. Like the, we're, we're like making a statement with this. <laughs> um, but I mean, th there is kind of dumpuary components. It's high concept. Um, it's got people in it who did go on to be stars. Like, uh, Lizzie Kaplan is is in it. Uh, T.J. Miller, Lucas, briefly, yeah. Uh, just yeah, just well, it's he's behind the camera, quote unquote. Yeah. Uh, Jessica Lucas, Theo Rossi from Sons of Anarchy, Odette Annabelle. Um, so you know, it's people who have become famous since uh, weren't necessarily famous at the time. Um, it kind of like found footage. It kind of stalled by the time this came out. Um going back to the Blair Witch Project, this kind of revitalized it again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, watching this today, it's, you know, watching it at the time too, it's, like you get about an hour in and like some of the friends have been like killed and uh, they're wandering through like the ruined streets of New York. And you're just like, maybe it's time to put the camera down and just focus on running for your life, which is part of the fun of this is that like there, someone is still filming beyond the point of, um, I guess logical consistency, like you wouldn't keep filming and you wouldn't be still like trying to keep everything in frame. It's funny uh, because I find that that becomes even more relatable each year, though, because like currently that was more weird back then. Currently, some people have their phones out when the craziest stuff's going on, right? It's so true. I would, say, I would say that's like one of the only things that like in Cloverfield actually feels even more <laughs> relatable. I <laughs> I think though, when you're getting eaten, maybe you wouldn't hold on to the camera. Just, wow, there's a whole yes. scene where the T, where TJ Miller is getting eaten and you, he's inside the monster's mouth. I feel like that at, at that point you you would probably let go of the camera. But we'll <laughs> sorry, go ahead. No, I said we'll see. We'll find out. We'll find. I don't think I will. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, but it's still a good time. It's still a banger. Um. I'm still kind of genuinely flummoxed about why they released this in January, like when they could have released it. And I mean, we, we have seen a it's such a throwaway film, like the whole the, the, the film in the film is like just the throwaway that like the government found. Right. So mm -hmm. I think that might have been it. It actually might have supposed to have been in the 
you know, dump you area because it's it, that's like what it's it a, is. It's just, just a tape that was found, a garbage tape, right? It's but a then, meta oh, text, is what you're saying. Revealed. Yeah, it's a, it's a meta text, is what you're saying. Yes, meta text. I, exactly. I suppose. I suppose. You know, what one of the, one of the most famous dump you area movies of all was though. What Sil- Silence of the Lambs? Yeah, released, yeah. Released in February, and then goes on to win five Oscars. That's crazy. <laughs> isn't it it's the oddest thing it's the oddest thing like what sticks and like what becomes and and it was almost like a dumpy worry because uh do you know Dolorentis buys the rights to manhunter uh manhunter bombs and then he like you know refute refuses to get the rights to silence of the lambs and then becomes this big hit and then he like has to pay through the nose for the rights to hannibal after that crazy yeah yeah, I remember uh, seeing Cloverfield theaters and really enjoying it. It's uh, and it seems to still be remembered. I, uh, I in particular, its sequel to Cloverfield Lane is very underrated. It's very, very yes, well yes. I especially John Goodman's role. I tend to agree that it's overrated. Um, we're gonna take a quick break here, and we're gonna come right back with our review of the Driveway Dolls. You are listening to end credits here on CFRU ninety three point three FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Looking forward to happy times I'm going back someday. Come what may do. Where do you want to go? Tallahassee. Tallahassee. What's wrong with Tallahassee? It's very nice. There's Spanish moss and live oak. Curly here. Don't call me Curly. And your name Curly? My name is Curly. We just met. It's too familiar. Have you ever been to Tallahassee? No, I got good sense. Your car is a Dodge Aries. Oh. Okay. Is that a good car? Not really. You sell no shirts. Okay, that was a clip from The Driveaway Dolls. It's the new film from director Ethan Cohen, and it stars Margaret Qualley, Geraldine Viswanthan, uh, Bernie Feldstein, Coleman Domingo, Matt Damon, and the disembodied head of Pedro Pascal. <laughs> um what I found interesting, first of all, I mean, there's a lot of things to find interesting about driveway dolls. Uh, first of all, we now have definitive proof of which Cohen one is, uh, you know, things like raising Arizona and burn after reading and hail Caesar come from. Oh uh, yeah. Where the comedy's <laughs> coming from. You mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, yeah. Because uh, the other Cohen is uh, only film is the tragedy of Macbeth, which is <laughs> outstanding film, but there's not a uh, single joke in the whole thing. No, it's a it's a film school like Joel yeah. the, Joel the film school, um, but yeah, it's 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 kind of it's it's funny that well, it's it's interesting to see how different they are and then you know how they work together. Yeah, no, for sure. Like there, there's definitely a derelict uh, sort of distinction between where the talents are, or or not necessarily where the talent is, but the division of labor, because I, I th- this has very much has the tone of a Coen brothers movie. Um, what it lacks is sort of like a, that sort of filmmaking 
polish although they do have some of the same collaborators like trish cook who is ethan cohen's partner co-wrote the screenplay yes. she also edited the film because she she's edited a lot of cohen brothers movies carter burwell uh does the music he, he's done the music for a lot of cohen brothers movies um but you know so so there is some team cohen aspect to this but it just it feels like it feels a little bit off brand. I'm not going to say it's the dollar Rama version of a Coen brothers movie, but maybe it's the, um, like the Marshalls or the winners version of a Coen brothers movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, mean. I would, I would say so. Marshalls are winners in the sense that, yeah, there's like, it's maybe not as like artsy, like formed in that way, but it still mm. has like a lot of good content. Um, mm. yeah. Um, I, and I do think, I, I guess not at the same uh, like level as the other ones, but the cinematography was still quite good. I guess the only like major difference for me is like the pacing was a bit different than some of the others. Yeah, uh, The non-comedies are a bit more slow. Um, not even slow, but just more, a bit slower and a bit more steady, I guess. Um, this one was kind of, it, it was a little up and down. Um, like I, I enjoyed it all around, but uh, there were some parts um some car rides that were like a bit a bit too long like it didn't need to be to that level <laughs> whereas i find with the other cones ones the timing and the speed and everything like that the editing is really uh more firm and the cinematography may be more simplistic but more of a focus on just that the cinematography the shot whereas this one drive away dolls as a comedy the visuals had to bring about more of that uh like laughter so the focus maybe on what the characters are doing as opposed to just a nice cinematography um focus uh like some scenery or whatever um so mm. i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing but yeah there's some definite um it's it, it's bumpier it's a little bumpier but mm -hmm. uh maybe that's just because it's a comedy you know uh yes i mean what's weird is that it's 80 some odd minutes long 85 minutes long um it's yeah so not even an hour and a half yeah and i mean that's i mean you're you're probably out in an hour and a half with even with like trailers and things um yeah it's it's weird that it is short like that and don't get me wrong i like short um i like 90 minutes <laughs> um but um it, it's also weird that um it, it does have sort of those like it feels like we're kind of stretching things like there's these psycho psychedelic sort of cutaways that um yeah do, they do lead some, they do lead somewhere and probably one of the best cameos in the movie um but <laughs> it, it, there's really kind of no um i mean there's really kind of no like we're we're inserting this in here for a reason and it, 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 it's kind of the same thing with um the, the Geraldine Viswanathan's character uh Marion like she keeps going to this happy place like in her mind's eye where she's yeah, her one the one book in particular yeah she always just falls back <laughs> in the night. yeah the, she's the she, she's either reading the book the Henry James book the Europeans or she's thinking about being I guess like 11 or 12 and spying on the woman sunbathing naked in the next yard and yeah know, it's I'm not sure what exactly that is. It could be like, because Trish Cook is a queer woman. So this may be something like an experience or a thought that's like very specific to her. Um, but 
Um, I'm not I'm not entirely sure why this is formative, why this is kind of like her happy place, this like sort of voyeuristic tendency because Miriam is 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 like such a like a she's the straight one, like not straight as in orientation, but like straight as in like I'm I'm always wearing a blazer. Um Yeah, yeah. She's, she's <laughs> as opposed more to like more as to, right as opposed to jamie who's like the wild child and yeah like, exactly I'm, I'm from Ooh. texas and shoot from the hip and i love jamie for me was the standout of this film i thought she was horrid. i uh i knew she would be more of like a tough figure but i didn't know she would have such a strong uh like texan voice i didn't know she would have such character to her uh <laughs> well character and it was it was fun i i enjoyed her but yeah Marion was okay i i enjoyed it but it was just kind of the the book then got a little old and i i wasn't fully aware of like where they were trying to go with that or why like you said that specific uh book um, but I am glad that you brought up Trisha Cook um, and her mm. uh, being queer because while watching it, I was not aware of Ethan Cohen's like wife, um, uh, Trisha mm -hmm. Cook or anything. And I was just kind of thinking like, like, this is good. And like, I get it. Mm. But like, it was directed by Ethan Cohen, a straight dude. Like, what? where are they getting all this? But And she is the main writer and she is a queer woman. So, you know, there could be some more truth to the uh, Henry James author and connection to uh, you know lesbians than we uh than we're yeah. aware of but um it, it it went over my head it went over my head no it's interesting that because joel and ethan are such strong partners that you get this others ethan gets has this other strong partnership yes you you do you do hear the voice of a coen brothers movie but it is from a point of view that is not um a, a typical Coen Brothers movie where it's it's very feminist, it's very queer. Um, it's it's yeah. the uh, main villain too. Um, yeah, he's a uh, he's he's an openly gay man. Um, so I thought yeah. that was cool. They uh, they really uh, Chief uh, Coleman Domingo. Coleman Domingo is since like oh five. <laughs> the casting they did a really great job on that too. Yeah, no, it's it's very it's it, it's got a very distinctive voice that sort of falls i don't know i don't know how best to 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 explain it it, it is like I, I guess maybe it's like you have a friend for 20 years and then they finally come out and <laughs> <laughs> it's you know it's it's the same person but you you now look at them in a totally different changes, way yeah but yeah they have an interesting relationship where apparently uh, trish cook does identify as a lesbian she and ethan cohen are married they I don't know how they would describe their marriage. They do have partners in addition to their marriage partnership. Yes. So it's it's this very kind of oddball, not oddball, but it, it, in terms of like what we understand from a heteronormative point of view, it, it is a very non-nuclear kind of family life that they have. Um, and it's interesting setting... And I'm not sure how much of this because Driveway Dolls has been a project that's been in the the proverbial cooker for years. Um, you know, some I, I guess in in two, around 2007, Ethan and oh, wow. Cohen and and Trisha Cook were pitching the idea. They they were originally going to like produce it for Allison Anders um, to to direct, and you know, stuff happens. Movie making isn't easy, um, but setting it in like this story to come out of that time period where things were kind it, it things felt very very much like 
politics was making being queer and having a queer identity so much harder and setting this in 99 sort of on the cusp of all that seems like a very peculiar choice. It also seems peculiar because like a lot of Cohen stuff, like it's, it's set like a few years off, like big Lebowski is like set during the first Gulf war, even though it comes out in 98. Yeah. Um, so usually I think just a few, a few <laughs> years prior to the present. Yeah. Whereas this one's like, yeah. like 25 yeah. years, quarter, quarter of a century. But like they can't um, be in the present, which seems to be a, a tendency with them. It's always like a like I don't think even Fargo was Fargo set in like present day, like in no, like, no, or was it um, like a few years off? I'm trying to remember. Even even Burn After Reading feels like it's set like a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's just it's just their thing. <laughs> yeah, they no, honestly it, probably just thought like, hey, we've been doing that anyways. Let's maybe. Bump those years up a bit. Yes, little, Fargo is Fargo is in nineteen eighty seven. Set in nineteen eighty seven. Yeah. So they're always like a couple. Of, they're setting their stuff a couple of years behind. But it, it's also weird to sort of feel like there's that big of a time difference. I mean, maybe because yeah. I'm I'm in my forties, so I remember nineteen ninety nine well. But yeah, I think maybe because <laughs> um, briefly, a same sex marriage is briefly a part of this film, and that sure. was only legal in a few states during this period. Mm-hmm. So if they had it set anything prior to or sorry anything after 2015 that just wouldn't really work right so mm. maybe that's why you know the 1999 1999 just itself you hear that date and it's just a sign of change right a sign of something new coming so could just yeah. be a wrinkle over the theme that's interesting yeah because it's it's very much like you know the the Marco Quali character, at least, is like very much like I'm living out loud. I'm a I'm a queer woman. Yeah, Jamie, deal she's with the best. It. <laughs> And Marion is there's this whole scene at the beginning where <laughs> Marion's at work and there's this guy's like, you know, you know, I got tickets to a fish concert. If you want to go to a fish concert tomorrow night, she's like, no, no, thank you. I have a, <laughs> I have an engagement, and it's like she's very clearly putting up this like stop hitting on me vibe because like I'm not gonna go out. You because yeah. I'm a lesbian, um, but it you know it, she obviously feels like she can't say that like no thank you I'm yeah fear fear dating men, um, so yeah it there, there's this kind of like weird duality to it and, and of course like the, this you know they're kind of going to these lesbian bars and there, there's one scene at a gay bar that it's like all these like sort of backwoods places because they're driving through the south and it's like the middle of nowhere it's oh like, yeah and they i forget its name but they all have really funny names and everything yeah, too yeah it's, it's really it's cool my favorite part of the film is yeah that when they go into the clubs and have fun yeah and you're seeing all the different you know various amounts um and then just you know see the villain kind of follow along with them um and i, I the villain too i i know we talked about the actor but i, I enjoyed that um uh, the film was like, you know, it was kind of messy, but I did enjoy Chief. I thought he was a, a fun villain. How it always did the the kind of camera shot where it was he was looking down on you, kind of added that fear. Um, and his voice too was was really was really well done. Um, yeah, he's proper, very suave. intelligent intelligent villain. He did a yeah. good job with that. He's suave. Uh, yeah, he's suave, he's, suave. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of like he's he's coded typical gay man where he's like he's wearing a nice suit, finely pressed, tailored. Uh, his beard is well trimmed. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's you know he's neat. The that old Seinfeld gag about like being thin and neat. Um, yeah. Um, Matt Damon, I was a little disappointed. He was funny in it, but I thought he'd be uh be in it more. 
Um, mm. I loved the other casting though. So like, it's not a bad thing. He wasn't in it as much as I thought. I just, his character seemed funny. So I, I expected a pinch more. So no, the, the whole, the Matt Damon thing is interesting because he's the one actor who's been in a Coen brothers movie before that's in the, 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 the main cast. Yeah. Um, oh, but, that, that, right, yeah. but that movie was true grit. That was his only Coen brothers movie is true grit, which is not one of the zanies. No, not a burn after reading. It's not a, a lady killers. It's not a hail Caesar. Um, unless he had a cameo and I don't think he had a cameo in hail Caesar, but, but like, like the one Coen brothers movie, he had a role was in true grit. And I mean, there are things like he, Matt Damon was in the informant, which, you know, in the back of your mind, you have to stop thinking different. Like, is that a Coen Brothers movie? Because it kind of feels like yeah. it, but it's not. Um, That's so funny. Yeah, it's a Soderbergh. Interesting. But a lot of these, like a lot of the characters in it, like or a lot of the actors in it, like it wouldn't like 10 years ago, if Coleman Domingo had been uh, a well-known actor 10 years ago, he would have been a Coen Brothers movie. Pedro mm. Pascal, if he had been a well-known actor 10 years ago, he would have been a Coen Brothers movie. Um, Bill Camp, as currently <laughs> um, I was shocked I was shocked he had never been in a Coen Brothers movie because he just he, he has like one of those faces and and that kind of like personality um, he was perfect in this yeah no I, he was I great just, I didn't know until right now he hadn't been in any uh, no it's, it, it's crazy it's like honestly it wouldn't surprise me if the Coen Brothers are thinking the same like how, how did we not are you, are you, <laughs> Joel are you sure this guy's never you've been in our you, you sure this guy's never been in our films that yeah, I mean, I he was good in it. That that may have been the sound of freedom bump. Have you seen Sound yeah. of Freedom? Uh, yes, yes, I did. You, you remember what character Bill Camp plays in Sound of Freedom? No, Vampiro, mm-hmm. the the former mafioso that helps uh, Jim Caviezel in Central in South America. Okay. His his character name was Vampiro. Yeah, that's a good name. <laughs> that movie is wild uh, but, uh, yeah he was he was fun but like Joey Slotnick is someone else who I'm surprised was never in a Coen Brothers movie because he's you know he's, he's kind of like a, a comedic actor who's been like sort of on the yeah I thought he was a burn after reading you see he's like a burn after reading kind of guy I just yeah, looked yeah. in his face and I, I assumed but no he's not not you're right no, it's it's so it like I, I, kind I of love respect the cast. Ethan yeah. Ethan Cohen kind of going out of his way to get some people that uh, him and his bro don't haven't nabbed before. That's true know. too. That's yeah. true too because it, it felt very much like these people. If, if you know, ten years ago probably would have been in a Cohen Brothers movie at some point. Uh, like yeah, Mark Rockwall, although... just has that kind of like I'm a. Even oh, if, her even for if... sure, her for sure. <laughs> I don't know about Beanie Feldstein. She's so comedy that I don't know. Yeah, that's it true. Worked, she worked in this, but again, I haven't really. Um, I guess Booksmart isn't really a comedy, and she's in that too. But Booksmart I think is least, comedy. Is it okay? Well, there you go. Yeah, I think Feldstein. She's she's for comedy, you know, and that's that's okay. So I think this Cohen one worked. I don't know how she would do in a just a Cohen brother, but uh, <laughs> I I thought she yeah. really, I thought she was really good in this. No, um, I I liked her a lot in this. A good uh, usage for for the ending. I I enjoyed her her usage for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's there's a line she says um at in, in the bar early in the film that i can't repeat but it i was it, i laughed out loud so hard yeah when she delivered it oh yeah um, <laughs> but yeah it, i think i think that's you know i i do wonder 
and there's been scuttlebutt that Joel and Ethan are going to put their heads together again. Oh um, yeah, I I do. I'm I, I'm sure they will at some point. Part of me though, I kind of want to see Ethan like keep ma- like making these movies on his own. Yeah, and because so- this is the first one, and yeah. if it's of this quality, like they're assuming they're going to get better, better. Like yeah, they're going to be really great. Um, oh. and I personally too, I really liked uh, the lady. I liked the Macbeth film, the Lady Macbeth. So yeah, um, like I'm okay with Joel doing it by himself as well. Yeah, I kind of want to see like how they change and evolve and and better themselves, like on on sort of their own. Um, more than I'm interested in seeing them get back together again uh, yeah. as a as a single artistic talent. What um, would be really sweet too is as the Coen brothers usually do, make some of these like regular. So if a couple of yeah. these became Ethan Coen regular, Margaret Qualley, she's, she's great. Feldstein, you know? Yeah. Awesome. No, I agree. Um, <laughs> Coleman Domingo. Yeah, no, like mm-hmm. uh, I, I wish there was maybe some more Pedro. I, I feel like. Um, yeah, that's the thing. I, I Pedro, it was like Matt Damon. I expected to pinch more, but at least the Pedro was kind of at the beginning and again sort of a kind of again in the middle you see him you see his face again kind of in the middle so like he's yeah like he's like kind of like a, a george clooney or a, a like a like a francis mcdormand like he's just like someone who makes sense in a coen brothers movie yeah, it like just feels he's, right. he's, he's just got that range uh as an actor like he can do like the the strong paternal guy leading the the cub through the woods like in um the last of us but he, i yeah. mean he's also got great comedic chops oh, the, that would... like that nicholas cage movie the unbearable weight of massive talent he's really good oh, yeah. at that uh but he's also like he's he's got a romantic side and a, like a swashbuckler side you know look back at game of thrones um oh, yeah. where he's i'm just i'm it. really yeah, excited to see where he's going to be in the future you know like he's already at such a great place but yeah I think well, it'll just keep going up and up. Well, he's he's going to be Mister Fantastic in the future. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> and I think I think that one will will come off well. He's literally going to stretch. Yep. As oh yeah, that's Mister Fantastic's powers, isn't it? Yeah, he stretches. Hmm. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'm I'm yeah. We're we're gonna see we're we're gonna see how it goes for sure. Um, but yeah, driveway dolls. Um, it sounds like it flopped which makes me sad. Um, but I just like, if you like the Coen brothers movies, um, I, I really think it's worth your time. Everybody's yeah, time just, checking out. It's a good time. It's yeah. A good or time. honestly, just like, if you like comedies, um, yeah. like in yeah. particular, yeah. like, li- like more, li- like not, not necessarily like liberal politically, but one, this is, you know, like gay characters and everything, like ones that are more uh, contemporary, contemporary comedies. You know, if you like that, d- d- darn right. You should watch this one. All right, perfect. Um, that's it for this week's show, I'm afraid. We hope you liked it just the same. If you want to listen to us again, you can download it every Friday from our website, endcreditsradioshow.com. We're at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean, or you can get us through your favorite app like Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And speaking of Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just open up Spotify and search for End Credits on CFRU. You can stay connected to us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and we're on Twitter at End Credits Radio. I will return on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for news and politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca, which just leaves Peter, who will tell us where we can find him on the internet. 
as per usual, Mr. Towerack on good old YouTube and X, FK Twitter. Peace. I'm still not calling it X. Um, stay tuned for my great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return, of course, next week at Wednesday, 3 p.m. for more end credits, and we will see you then. Thank you.